Heavenly Father, we thank you. We can come together and worship and offer our gifts in your service, and we pray for the Strite Horse as they do the work you have called them to. We thank you, too, that we can recognize the reality of sin in our lives and in this world and continue to point and move ourselves and, and place ourselves uh, firmly in your forgiving grace in Jesus Christ and also to bring a message to the world of the reality of sin and the need for a Savior, you, Lord Jesus. May we again, in hearing your word, be uh, guided into that uh, ministry and mission of reaching out to a world of sin with that good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Sherry is going to read with us? Yes. You can, you can use... Samuel 12. It's on page 487 in your pew Bibles. We're going to be reading Nathan Rebukes David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it, for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The very words of God.
Thank you, Sherry. We are looking at, at this story of uh, Nathan confronting David, and especially, too, where, where he confronts him and says, you are the man. How, how much it took for Nathan to get through to David that he had sinned. It's, it's remarkable how strongly sin is denied. Congregation of Jesus Christ, uh, we are uh, these evenings thinking about how we speak faith, speak of the Christian faith into the modern world. And so we are using the words of the contemporary testimony, which is a contemporary uh, statement of what we believe and, and reflecting on how it brings that word of God into the world in a way that the world can, can respond, can understand. Now, we are here at that point. What, what does our witness to the modern world include? And within that, um, you would think, too, a lot of things we can talk about, but maybe you wouldn't want to talk about sin. You think, would, would the modern world, would, would somebody, if you just went and talked to them, they didn't go to church, they didn't know the Lord, and you went and talked to them about sin, how would the response be? You would wonder, perhaps, is, is it to, to highlight in our modern culture uh, a reality of, yeah, the, the faith of the Bible, uh, the one thing uh, you might think, well, I don't know. That won't really work. People are not really interested in, in talking about sin and, and to go on about sin or, or things of that nature, more old-fashioned. Uh, even the word sin, it's not really mentioned much, ever. I'm not sure generally, like in, in conversation anywhere or in the news or anything, you never hear sin. Vaguely? Once in a while, maybe. My point this evening is that it is absolutely necessary and it's very acceptable, actually, for us to talk about sin with our neighbors and with people who don't know anything about church and faith. We need to realize that that's, that's something they're interested in. They are very interested in talking about sin, sin in our world, sin as a whole. It, it's even demanded. Um, just recently, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission wrapped up its work, right? If you followed it, Month after month, year after year, every single sin was talked about. A, a dear Native woman would come forward and she would explain how she had been horribly abused and everyone listened and it was all written down and it was all compiled for the reason of, of dealing with it. It was understood. This was sin, this was wrong, it was talked about, and now we hope to move forward. There's an interest, there's an openness to talking about sin. There was sin involved. 
I remember uh, it was already a number of years ago when Prime Minister uh, Harper stated the apology to the First Nations. And, and I remember sitting down. I had opportunity, and then he was just presenting it, and I was sitting there listening. And I, I don't have the complete text, but he highlighted very specifically when this happened and when that happened and when this happened we are sorry we are sorry as a nation that we didn't step in the sin was named and the forgiveness was offered there is a precedent there is an understanding that that sin needs to be identified that it is present, and that we need to talk about it. Now, it is a challenge to, to just, how do we present that? How do we go forward with that? People do not uh, use the terms like identifying the problem uh, of sin, that the problem is sin, is, the wording is, is, more difficult what we do is we use other terms so there's crime right there's crime and talk about crime crime is in the news all the time well that's sin but we don't talk about it as sin we talk about it as crime we talk about uh, problems of injustice well what's injustice well the bible talks about the injustice that sin brings well that's sin the injustice between the rich and the poor and the economy it's sin at work we often hear about uh, abuse and social problems well what is that well that's sin it is always talk about sin going on in our culture we hear about homicides theft scandals adultery sin is news it's daily news <coughs> People love to, to hear about it in the sense of, of it, it intrigues them. It, it, how is that possible? And, and it, it raises questions too. How could somebody do that? And, and the reality that there is sin in this world is, but it's not talked about as sin. It's, yeah, we have these problems. And so you have problems in politics. And, and you get all kinds of things relating to the senators and their expenses and, and one political party and another and they're all doing things that, and then they get caught with something. And what is that? Well, that's, that's sin at work. And then you have problems in the economy. And so you, you hear about uh, companies' uh, fraudulent investments and Ponzi schemes and, and fund managers padding their pockets. And what is that? was greed which is sin the sin of greed that people don't act honestly in the financial world that they take advantage where they can and so we live in a sinful world problems in marriage even when we recognize two relationships and and people uh, seeking in those relationships to do what is best there is much brokenness there's much hurt there's much struggle in a marriage itself and the reality of sin breaking down what what should be loving and caring 
So always these problems. So as Christians in a modern world, we, we can have a, a word for those problems. The problems here, there, well, that's, that's sin. That's what that is. A small word, a theological word, our Christian witness must include that speaking into our world the reality of sin. Now, when we do that, we do have to realize that it's hard to admit sin, even as Christians. We, we see it there, but it's hard to admit it. And, and even personally, when was the last time you admitted that, that you had done something wrong and you had to ask for forgiveness? We, we don't that quickly. There's always a hesitancy. It's not easy for us, even as Christians, in order to be a witness to Jesus, the Christian faith in the modern world, we need to be honest about sin, even in ourselves. And that's, that's a challenge. Consider just a few examples here. I wanted to start with Genesis 3, the actual fall into sin. And there, God is asking those, Adam and Eve, who have sinned, to confess their sin. God confronts them in the garden, the account in Genesis 3. God comes to them and asks them, what have you done? They defend themselves as sinless and blame others, even their dearest loved ones. Adam is confronted by God, and, and he blames Eve. He is approached by God. God says to him, what happened? is not me it's her and and that tendency of sin he blames Eve the love of his life he throws her under the bus his sin is her fault how is that possible that's what he does and when he says that he says she is the sinner he is not at fault she is the problem and if you see in Genesis 3, verse 12, the, the way he, he refers to her uh, from when he first sees her, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Uh, I love her so much. And then now, in sin, after he has sinned, it says very specifically, this woman, this woman, I never really liked her very much from the beginning. It's, it's all different. It's all changed. There's just a self-protection. And so we see the ugly working of sin breaking down that, that relationship between Adam and Eve and between Adam and God. Because when, when he says, this woman that you gave me, so it's, it's her fault and it's God's fault, but it's not Adam's fault. And that's... That's a tendency of sin, how, how sin works in us, gets hold of us, breaks down other things, but I'm, I'm not at fault. That's 
a difficult, difficult thing to break through. We see it again when God confronts Eve and asks her, are you the problem? And, and Eve, I think, is still a little shocked by Adam's uh, condemnation, and, and she, too, looks for, okay, who can I blame? And she blames the serpent. And, and the serpent, of course, again, the serpent you put here. So God is to blame, the serpent is to blame, Eve is not to blame. That, that, that is a, a quick, quick reaction in all of us. I am not responsible for my own sin. And to see how sin twists us in pride to blame others and to blame God. And so that's what we're dealing with when we speak to people about sin and even the reality of their own sin. That's, that is a difficult thing. That is a challenging thing. Now, just to finish up with Adam and Eve, do you wonder what was God actually expecting? Like Adam and Eve had sinned and God came to them and confronted them. And what was God expecting? What do you expect if someone sins against you? If one of your, your kids or one of your friends does something to you and you go to them and you say, hey, this is uh, not good. What did you do? Then, then you expect uh, your child or your friend to say, well, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. If Adam had fallen on the ground, if the words of Psalm 51 had been on his lips, I know my transgressions. Against you have I sinned. I'm so sorry for disobeying you. It wasn't Eve, don't blame her. It wasn't a serpent, don't blame it. It was me. Would, would, that, have been, would that have been a response? Yeah, that would have been a very good response. Psalm 51, I alone have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Please forgive me. But there is a lack of, of a humble response. Sin has taken hold of Adam and Eve in a death grip, and it has a hold on, on our world as well. It's, it's so hard to admit, and we're quick to blame others. And this is a predominant attitude in our modern culture. It's a culture of blame and of accusation and litigation, and, and you see it generally and even among Christians. It's a constant threat. And so our witness needs to be one of humble confession before we can engage the world. But it's hard to get through to people, even King David. And that's why we read the account here from one, uh, 2 Samuel 12. Here in 2 Samuel 12, uh, David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He knows it's wrong. But she's so lovely. Oh, and really, it's her fault for being so lovely. So, so you wonder how, how he processed it, eh? Or he, he thinks, too, I'm the king, and I, I should get whatever I want. And so, so yeah, 
it's not really his fault, it's her fault, and, and it's because he's king. But, and, and so how did he work this through? Somehow he, he came to feel that his actions were, were justified, his sin. And we do that. And then his actions, where, where he might have thought too, um, really no one is harmed and no one knows, but then she becomes pregnant, so all of a sudden everyone will know. So then he, he moves to covering up. And the whole story, if you know the story with her husband Uriah, and that he tries to have him come home, and that, that he would, after spending time at home, would think the child was his, though it would have a remarkable resemblance to the king. But all of this would work itself out. But that doesn't happen because Uriah is a godly man. And so Uriah has to die, and David could think too, it's his own fault. The reason Uriah died is because it's his own fault. He's, he should have just gone along with my plan, but now I had to kill him. And, and so the sin gets justified. And so you see how the sin entangles even someone like David, a godly king who knows what's right, but ends up trapped in this uh, sin of, of lust and then murder. And the story here shows how strong it is. Why doesn't the prophet Nathan just walk in and say, verse 7, David, you are the man. You are a sinner. Why don't you just do that? Nathan was a prophet of God. Prophets wandered around and, and confronted people. But Nathan knows that David would kill him. David is at a point of denial, and, and it, it, st it still wouldn't get through. So strong is that, that denial of sin. And so he uses this elaborate story to cut through David's denial. Notice how Nathan points out someone else's sin. In the story, Nathan talks about a rich man who sinned. And notice how quickly, oh, David sees that sin. Oh, man, look at that sin. And, and we are all good at that. Every one of us in church or outside of church, in, in society in general, we are, we are so good at saying, oh, man, look at that person. Look at what they're doing. That's no good. And we'll point out all kinds of things in all kinds of people, no problem. We see it right away, though, though we think, too, those people don't see it, but look at that. That's what they're doing is wrong, is no good. And so we do have that, and David sees it immediately. The greed, the selfishness of the rich man who deserves to die, and David judges correctly when it's someone else, but not himself. Are we like that? We definitely can be. So we see the basic reality of sin blinding hearts and minds and how sin itself uh, does that. 
even as we see more and more the sins in others, we see them less and less in ourselves. And it's interesting of the church, too, as it gets that reputation that, that the church accuses those outside of sin, and then those outside look at the church and see all our weaknesses, and what do they call us? Hypocrites. So that a Christian person from the church is dealing with someone else in business, and the business is a little questionable. And then it all comes back, right? And so, how are we to live? How are we to react? We have to be those who recognize the reality of sin, absolutely, in the world, also in us. That's where the witness begins. And in our modern culture, too, to express the truth of God is to confess that we ourselves are sinners. In 1 John 1, verse 8, it says, If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So our witness to the modern world includes admitting that we are sinners. Why else would we offer the gospel of Jesus as a savior? Out of our sin, our need, then we can confess the truth of Jesus as the Savior. And that's the message we want to bring. The Bible is not shy about the reality of, of believers who are sinful. I remember talking, I talked with a, with a gentleman who was a Mormon bishop, and, and we were chatting about things, yeah, we don't agree on a lot of things, and, and there was some tension we were dealing with. But in, in and all of that, we were able to chat, and, and I brought it back to biblical things, and I said, Abraham was a sinner. Abraham was a sinner. He had that thing in Egypt where he called his wife his sister, and that didn't go well. And he had other struggles along the way. Oh, no, the Mormon bishop said, no. Oh, Abraham was a perfect man. So, well, the Bible only talks about one perfect man, Jesus Christ. Everyone else, like here is King David, the great King David, sinner. Noah was drunk and naked in his tent. Definitely, God used him powerfully. He was obedient in many ways, but he was still a sinful man. And, and the list goes on and on. All sinned. Solomon was a sinner. Peter, the apostle, was a sinner. Even Paul, what does he call himself? The worst of sinners, chief sinner. Do, do we actually do that? Do we actually, as we go around, do we actually ad ad admit to people that, that or, or are we, we perfect? Oh, Pastor Mike perfect. The witness is in the confession that I struggle, you struggle, but our hope is in the Lord. And so you even see it too in the, the Roman Catholic Church uh, trying to cover up all of the things that 
happened with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission brought out to the residential schools, to admit it, to confess it, then the witness comes back to, well, Christ is our hope, our only hope, because we fail often. There's a story by Donald Miller in the book Blue Like Jazz, and he's talking about living out the Christian faith in a modern world. And, and he, he's talking about at university, he, uh, as a Christian, trying just to explain his Christian faith on the university campus, and he decided on a day, it was special events day at the university, and so he and some Christian friends put up this big tent, big white tent, and they put on the front a big sign, confession booth. And so... And they had a table and chairs in front. And so, so there, yeah, students are walking by and, and a confession booth, confession booth, what, what is that? Are we supposed to come in there and confess our sin? And what's going on? And so there was a lot of talk about it and a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, people, you know, those lousy Christians, what are they doing? And it was, it was a bit of that. And then, and then some people went in and sat down. And then Donald Miller... He confessed the sin of the church to them. He confessed his weakness, the church's weakness, the sin of the, the Christian church through the ages. He had a, a very clear, humble statement that he confessed to them. He said, I'm sorry as a Christian that we have done these things in the world and in the culture. And he presented a confession. And, and the result was people, not everybody, but quite a few were really touched. Say, what, what is this Christianity about? That it humbly confesses that, yeah, it's not perfect, it sins, it struggles, but the hope is in Jesus. And so in that witness, people were touched deeply. So that's behind the idea of the contemporary testimony where it confesses the reality of sin. Sin in this world, sin present everywhere, even sin in us. And that is where we can present to this world too, that reality, and by the Holy Spirit, that people would respond like David did. I have sinned against the Lord. To eventually get them to that point, I need a Savior. And then we can point to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you.